Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. We all have our heroes, and everybody looking to meet somebody once in their life. For me, it was John Rattel of the Rangers or Mickey Mantle, Willis Reed. That was me. Never happened, by the way. But I happen to know for a fact that one of Dan Nathan's heroes is Bill Simmons. And Dan, you're out there in California for the Super Bowl. Actually, you're out there for the parties, not the actual game. You met Bill Simmons, and Bill Simmons probably said, oh my God, it's Dan Nathan of On The Tape Podcast. No, it's funny. I was introduced to him, and I am a huge Ringer fan and a huge fan of what they built over there. And I'd like to think that what we're trying to do, Guy, is in a similar vein here. If the common thread through the Ringer is sports and pop culture, ours is markets. We think markets is sport. We think it is pop culture. So that's what we're doing there. And huge fan of what he's built. Yeah, I did get to say hi to him last night. He's like, yeah, 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 I think I know who you are. And then he moved on. For a lot of people, though, you know, see, it's not true with me, but a lot of people, their goal in life is to meet Danny Moses for a myriad of different reasons. We'll talk about that later. But in case you were wondering, you are listening to On the Tape. I am Guy Adami. I am joined by Dan Nathan and the aforementioned Danny Moses. There is a lot to talk about this week. Inflation is absolutely running hot. Yields are ticking higher, not only the 10-year, but the two-year. A Fed ready to pull the trigger on a rate hike or do a double dose and maybe 50 basis points hike. We'll see. And a lot of single stock moves. And by the way, Dan has something he's calling Mind the Gap. It's fascinating. He's spot on with this. Plus, Danny's going to pull out a win for the Super Bowl after going 28-6 and this season. We'll get to his picks a little bit later. We don't want to bury the lead here. We also don't want to make your eyes glaze over. But 7.5% print and CPI on Thursday was, in a word, astonishing. The whisper number 7.3%. I think the market was trading prior to Thursday's release, like it might come out with a six handle. That didn't happen. And I got to tell you, real inflation in this country, depending on who you ask or what numbers you look at, is probably closer to 11, 11 11.5%. And that's a problem, Danny Moses. Guy, first of all, you and I date right now, Las Vegas, two years from now for the Super Bowl. We don't need Dan. We'll be at the craps table. We're going to crush it there, go to all the parties. In? I'm in. I love a good craps table. I actually stood at a craps table 14 hours straight in Las Vegas circa 1997, but that's another story for another podcast. Many years before that, there was a song written, okay? You guys got to name the artist and the name of the song. Ready? There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. All right, what do you got? Well, it's got to be Dan's Grateful Dead. And the way you sing it, honestly, if people haven't tuned out yet, they're tuning out now. But no, it's not. It's the great Buffalo Springfield. That's correct. And Dan, for what it's worth is the name of the song. For what it's worth, looking at the CPI data, a couple things stand out. Yes, a little bit worse than expected, higher than expected. The average hourly earnings are not keeping pace with the overall inflation, so purchasing power is diminishing. Those are startling things. You're getting a little bit of glimpse in what stagflation may look like. We saw it in the UK earlier this week. They're starting to raise taxes to pay for some of the social programs while they're facing purchasing power degradation as well as higher rates. So listen, the next Fed meeting is not until March. So we're now going to sit in this time period trying to figure out every single data point that comes out. And I'll just say this, 
Fed fund futures are now way too far ahead of themselves. As I'm looking here, almost 74% chance of 50 basis points in March and six, seven, eight rate hikes. So I think we're getting ahead of ourselves here. That being said, inflation does look like it's embedded in a lot more areas than we had previously thought. I guess the question is, how sticky is it going to be? I just go back to pre-pandemic levels where we were so worried about the deflationary factors of big tech and we were worried about wages never going up. We were also seeing that at record low unemployment. I think we got as low as 3.6 before the pandemic. We spent two years dealing with a pandemic that we've had very little visibility for. We've seen global central banks throw trillions and trillions of dollars at stimulus added. I just don't really feel like inflation that we're seeing right now as we enter the endemic is going to be the sort of thing that sticks. And like we were talking about automation and UBI and all this up pre-pandemic, I just don't believe that we're going to take technology and the deflationary force that it is, and we're going to move back those factors by a matter of years. So I really suspect we see CPI in the low single digits in the next six months or so. I see growth, as you seem very concerned about, Danny, going back to GDP sub 3% or so, and we kind of get back to where we were prior to the pandemic. I feel like the stock market is actually probably looking at it correctly. The S&P 500 is down about, what, 5 6% on the year or so, and it doesn't just seem seem like a four alarm fire right now as far as the potential for this inflationary pressures to stick around, in my opinion. Listen, there are certain things that are going to be transitory. I hate that word. I want to bury it. It's gone anyway. But when you see auto insurance companies start to raise rates 7 8% across the board, that is a tax basically on the consumer. You never see anyone lowering rates for you. So that goes up. When you start to see Coca-Cola say things on their earnings call, like we're actually concerned if we keep raising prices, the impact, the buying power and the consumer... Real things are starting to actually happen and drip in. Yes, auto prices are starting to flatten and come in a little bit. That's been a big contributor to this thing. So there are certain things. So you just got to be bob and weave and be very smart with what you're looking at. But if you look over in the UK, like I said before, you're starting to have an impact there. So what did the ECB do yesterday when credit spreads started to widen because people are concerned they're going to raise rates? They came out and said, well, maybe not so fast. So they could actually control the narrative over there. I expect that to happen here over time. And that's why I think these six, seven, eight rate hikes are just not realistic. Right. And we don't want to beat a dead horse here, but real wage growth, which is important, that's at a negative 3.1% weekly wage growth. We haven't seen numbers like that in the last 14 or so years. And what does that mean to me? It means that even though employers have raised wages, they're not keeping up with inflation. And that's a problem. What does it mean? It's going to mean they're going to continue to have to raise wages. What does that mean? Inflation continues to go higher. You get in this spiral that becomes very difficult to get out of, which is an economics thing. And I'm not trying to make, again, people's eyes glaze over. But what we're tasked to do is what does it mean for the market, Dan? And later, we're going to be talking about mining the gap. You have some views on some things that have happened over the last week and a half or so. But what do you think this means for the broader market? What do you think it means for the rotation that we've clearly been seeing? Look what's acting really well. We saw a bunch of bank stocks break out to new all-time highs. That was surprising. Bank America, one of the largest money center banks, is right back to its prior high. Morgan Stanley broke out. You also saw that parabolic move in the energy space. Obviously, they like the energy stocks, large integrated oil services. They like $90 crude oil here. And we saw that move in the XLE, the ETF that tracks the large integrated. It literally went up in a straight line over the last few weeks. I just don't think that that rotation is going to save the markets. You mentioned consumer staples, the ones who are worried about being able to eat the cost or pass through cost increases. 
pieces. Well, the XLP, the ETF that tracks consumer staples is up on a big spike. All the stuff that's working in the stock market is not the stuff that makes me feel bullish about broadening out of a stock market or the ability for it to get back to those prior highs. And I do think it's interesting now that we have a 10-year above 2% here. What's lagging in today's tape? It's big cap tech, it's growth tech. And that is exactly what we saw in Q1 of 2021. And I think it's important to go back and remember when we saw yields up there. At the time, the thought was that the yields going higher was confirming the fact that we're going to see better than expected economic growth due to the vaccines and due to this pandemic ending. And I think that here we are a year later, and it really feels like a very different story. The great Rocky Balboa, the Boxing Hall of Fame Rocky Balboa, which I still believe Roy Scheider should be in the Fishing Hall of Fame if Rocky's in the Boxing Hall of Fame. He took a lot of punches in both Rocky One, but especially in Rocky Two, and he hung around. This market has taken a ton of punches. And Dan, I've been saying for a long time, we wake up one day in the 10 years at one and a half versus two. At one and a half, I would have told you the market's down. At two, the market wants to believe that it can survive in this rate environment, and 2% is still nothing. So on an input basis, it can certainly still survive. The reason the banks are having this move, they want the best of all worlds. Can you have higher rates, and can you also still maintain a higher market, which in turn helps your IPO market, helps M&A, and all those things. So that's like the win-win. But to your point, Dan, which I think is the most relevant, is you're getting these little periods where people want to believe, and they're taking near-term shots at various sectors and buying them. I think they're just renting these sectors. Because I think when you take a step back, the big move I think we all believe is going to be lower for the markets and a recalibration of what higher rates mean and a potential higher rates causing a slowdown in the economy. And that's where I believe this 210 spread, which is 50 bips, makes its way to 30 to Guy and I's point and then turns to flat and maybe even inverts later in the year. So I am as bearish as I still have been. And you're going to get fits and starts and you're going to get short covering. You're going to get these things that happen, but clean up the portfolio, people. And if you're looking for something very granular here in terms of something that should be on your radar screen, I will point to the HYG. And this is something that typically doesn't move, but it's basically high-yield corporate bond ETF. And if you go back to spring of 2015, this was rolling along on its merry way around 90 or so. And then something happened in August of that year, and I know you both remember, China devalued their currency. And then we saw from August until February the market got obliterated. And this HYG, which again was 89 going nowhere, traded down to a 76 handle or so. The same thing happened, by the way, different but similar in 2018 on the back of the Fed that became extraordinarily hawkish for an extraordinarily short period of time. Forget about February, March of 2020. We all know there. I mentioned HYG, Dan, because it's starting to roll over. It's not meaningful yet, But it's absolutely something to keep an eye on because for a lot of people, the last shoe to drop would be in the form of high-yield corporates. Yeah. And where has there been an area where we've been focused on debt? And it's been China. And if you think about China slowing, and it brings me back to 2015-16, the last time we were in this kind of rate hiking mentality where the Fed was trying to normalize monetary policy. What happened when China had a bit of a growth scare? We saw all these sorts of things in the credit market start to blow out. Danny, wouldn't you say that was the last real time that we were literally talking about high yield? We obviously know that China and the growth is largely built on debt over there and sovereign debt. And I just think that that's something to keep a close eye on. I'm not smart enough to figure out what it means. But when I hear guys like you and Danny talking about it, it makes me start to think that we might see some kind of cross asset market palpitations. Passive investing is your friend when it flows on the way in. It's not your friend on the way out. So not only do we have fund flows leaving fixed income ETFs, which we've talked about on the show, which are going to be a problem. 
We had the Fed buying the HYG a couple years ago, if you guys remember. So not only are they not buying it anymore, they're now exiting positions across the board. If they do just not reinvest proceeds of things, it just has an impact on the market. So I think people are starting to get ahead of that. Muni bond funds have outflows in them. People are now waking up to the fact that you can lose 10% in your fixed income ETF. It could take four to five years to get that back in terms of the coupon. And I think that's a reality of what people are starting to look at now, which by the way, is not an argument against stocks per se, because in a perfect world, money comes out of fixed income and into equities, but not when equities are valued at this level. And I believe Lizanne Saunders put out a great tweet that I know, Dan, you had mentioned before, maybe you want to talk about in terms of when the Fed starts to tighten at that moment that they have, what is the valuation in the markets here? You've actually been bringing that up for a while here. And that's one of the things that as rates wanted to go up over the last year. And Guy, you kind of nailed it, buddy. You were saying on every dip, I think we're going to see 2% in the 10-year. We've seen the areas of the market that should be very sensitive to a rising rate environment, unprofitable tech, recent tech IPOs, SPACs. The list goes on and on. I mean, even crypto has felt some pain in this rising rate environment here. So they've been correcting for about a year now. And for us, I think when you said, Danny, if weeks ago. You've never been more bearish. You just reiterated that today. You know, Guy and I have been sellers on rallies. And I just say this, and I know we're going to talk about some individual names, but the price action today, Thursday, as we're taping, I find troubling here. I've been a seller on rallies and things. Guy has too. I think we're in a one step forward, two steps back market. I think the plumbing seems broken right now. The NASDAQ clearly sees broken. The dispersion and reaction to earnings news and the shoot first, ask questions later, and then just the panic buying that we saw like last week and snap up nearly 60% in one day. Something feels like really broken here. I agree. And you have to mention things that are going on overseas. Europe is trying to get their house in order without question. They see the problems that we're seeing as well. But now you're seeing Danny Moses, you're seeing corporate bonds taking a beating in Europe as well. You wonder, what does that mean? And does it manifest itself here? And again, we're not trying to get too granular here, not too inside baseball. But all these things are important. And Danny mentioned something that's really critically important. The fact that the Fed, for whatever reason, found it necessary to buy the HYG. Talk about the lack of price discovery. One has to wonder where these instruments would be but for that, Danny Moses. Let me just address the Europe for a moment. We've talked about the German bunds, the 10-year yield in Germany. Yes, it's still very low at 30 basis points, right? 0.3%. But remember, the pigs in Europe. Remember, everything was predicated off of German rates. So spreads are widening in Italy versus Germany. Spreads are widening in Greece versus Germany. So as Greece moves up, that has an impact on everybody just on a relative safety measure. And now you're seeing corporations start to issue bonds on a floating rate perspective because they can no longer get fixed rate, long duration capital raised in the markets. Those are the small little things that are starting to happen that can have a real reverberation, not just in Europe, but I think across the globe. So again, I think what we're seeing there is a microcosm of what we may see here if the Fed does go on a sustained rate hike path. So yes, you're picking up all these little nuggets here. But speaking of nuggets, Dan, I just looked at gold. I swear I wasn't even going to bring it up. It's 1837 So that's $63 away from another five dimes. Anyway, we could talk about that another time, but gold, I know you hate it. Everybody hates it. That's why I love it, because everyone hates it anyway. Gold 1837. Danny, you're a gambler. You should know you never count the money. They don't pay you at halftime if you want to go back to a great James Conn movie. True. I just was looking. Nugget. 
It just came into my head. Anyways, by the way, obviously earnings were pretty much through earnings season again, and there have been some really interesting individual stories. Just take a look at some of these cross currents. Disney, for example, versus Netflix, Dan. And Netflix was an atrocious quarter in a word, and the stock paid the price. Disney's quite the opposite. One has to wonder, though, if Disney can't hold the gains that we're seeing on Thursday, what does that mean? There's so many wacky things going on in markets on the back of earnings, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, I'll just say this. We weren't shy about calling this out. We've seen so many stocks and we've just talked about some of the smaller names and just this backland. I mean, they've crashed. They've absolutely crashed. You used to hear this expression, markets don't crash off of highs. Well, let me tell you this. If you're looking at a Netflix that traded $700 in November and by the time Q4 earnings just a couple weeks ago in mid-January or so, stock was 500, okay? From 700 to 500. And then it found its way down to 350 after an earnings gap. That is an absolute bloodbath if you think about it. So yes, we did not crash off the highs. We crashed off of depressed levels. But on the flip side of that, we were talking about some of the dispersion and results. Look at that gap in Google that it had. It gapped up 10% on February 2nd following its better than expected Q4 results and guidance. And the stock has filled in the entire gap. Guy, you just mentioned Disney, which has been down a whole heck of a lot for months and months now. It traded weak in sympathy with those Netflix results, and it's only up 3% after it was up maybe 8 or 9% in the aftermarket. I can go on and on and on here. Investors are looking for the opportunity, I think, to take profits. And as our friend Carter Braxton Worth says, markets have memory here. And some of these past levels, you get back to prior highs like Google just did or the Alphabet thing, and people sell. And so I feel like we're on the precipice of a retest of those recent lows. And you mentioned earnings season almost being done. I will tell you this, guy. We haven't heard from Home Depot. We haven't heard from Lowe's. We haven't heard from Walmart and Target and Nike. Those are all coming in the next few weeks or so. We talked about high inflation. We actually haven't seen readings, ISM, PMI, consumer data. If that stuff starts to come in weaker than expected as CPI is above 7%, Danny's going to have his little stagflationary moment. Well, Danny's been on that. And it's interesting. Companies have mentioned inflation at a record pace. And until now, Danny Moses, until now, they've been able to pass on those costs to the consumer, which is a good thing for companies, by the way, because it doesn't eat into their profit margins, their operating margins. But you know, Coca-Cola said something really interesting on the conference call. Now they're saying, you know what? I don't know if we're going to be able to do this anymore. And that is not particularly bullish. So when Coca-Cola says something like that, You have to figure it's going to trickle down all across the spectrum. Before I get to that, uh, there's another Tesla recall. Sorry, that's four in the last two weeks. So sorry, I digress again. But anyway, yes, listen, two companies I thought said things on the opposite end of the spectrum, both are dealing with inflation. Coke on their conference call, the next price increase phase will be harder due to squeeze on family incomes. Unilever expects underlying sales growth this year to be between four and a half and six and a half percent but it expects its underlying operating margin for 2022 to drop between 16 and 17 as it has raw material, packaging, distribution costs to remain high. So you can either pass it on, but companies are now at the point where you can only pass on so much. So again, either maintain your earnings and your margin and pass it on to the consumer. If you do that, it works its way into the system like we just talked about in the form of inflation. So yeah, we're quickly approaching a crossroads here. And a Dan's point about earnings, Disney obviously is taking market share from Netflix. You can see that in the numbers. So Twitter, which is, quote, supposed to be a growth company, announces a $4 billion buyback, of which $2 billion will be accelerated, of which part of that $2 billion is replacing a buyback from March of 2020, which still had eight or $900 million on it. That's great. 
but you don't pay a high multiple for companies that are going to start to buy two, four billion dollars back worth of stock. So beauty's in the eye of the beholder. I think we're going to continue to see a flight to quality and a flight to safety. That's why the dogs of the Dow we've talked about beginning this year, what would we own? Names like that have been up, dividend paying, cash flowing companies that have a decent balance sheet. So I think we continue to see quality rise to the top here through the course of the year. It's going to be tough. You mentioned being at a crossroads. I happen to think they're in the middle of an intersection and cars are going by them 75, 80 miles an hour, and they don't know what to do. They're going to be paralyzed, and it's a problem. And this is, we talk about threading the eye of a needle. Well, this is the thread, and this is going to be a real tough one, Danny Moses. Oh, another Tesla recall. It's funny you should say intersection. They just had to recall 54,000 vehicles that had full self-driving that allowed a roll through a stop sign. Who allows something like that? Anyway, I digress again. They're over-the-air software recall updates, four of them in the last two weeks. Sorry, Guy, but yes, I agree. So, Danny, your world continues to be in focus, and it's interesting. Cannabis, you're talking about levels we haven't seen in over a year, I think, in terms of some of these underlying stocks. And on the week that we Brady Cobb had a birthday, and I got to tell you something, that dude looks like he's 28 years old and could be playing in the NFL. What are your thoughts in terms of the cannabis space? You're starting to get some follow-through out of Washington D.C. Now you have a lot of rhetoric going back and forth. Bills being reintroduced, three or four different kind of bills that are out there. Schumer acknowledging it now by saying he wants to get his comprehensive bill done. There's the belief that the White House is going to do some type of pardoning program that actually paves the way for either the SAFE Act or the States Act to pass. So you won't have to have the full comprehensive reform bill that they're looking for. So it's building some momentum. They're certainly not back. You know, They're certainly having a good run here from the lows. They're probably up 20 or 30 percent. And I think going to have a decent year from here, but they're still well off of where they have been in the past. So a lot of fits and starts in the space. But I was looking this morning when the market opened down solidly off this CPI print, what cannabis was going to do, because normally it sells off with the market because it's so retail heavy. It's so held by retail and it didn't. And it's up again today. So it gives you a little bit of hope that it has found a firmer footing. So I expect on Brady Cobb's birthday, which is 210 and between now and the annual cannabis celebration day, which is 420. We're going to have a lot more movement and a lot more noise towards it. So, I mean, what else is out there that you think can produce tax revenue and growth? This is one of the areas that I think people are going to be looking at to provide economic benefit to everyone involved. So I'm still very hopeful there, Guy. When we come back, the three of us will give you some thoughts on where we see things going and some opportunities that we think are out there. And oh, by the way, Danny Moses' pick for the Super Bowl. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com micros. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com micros. All right, we're back. And I think it's important as we get into, listen, it's going to be March soon, just to talk about where we think things are going. And I'll start this conversation off. For a long time, I've thought twos, tens in form of yields would get the 30 basis points. I'm going to stand by that. I think the market's going to continue to sell off in a meaningful way. 
I think you're going to see a flight to quality in the form of 10-year yields, which will knock 10-year yields down about 1.8. And as I've said for a number of weeks now, I think you're going to see twos, tens, twos being 1.5%, tens being 1.8%. And I don't think that augurs particularly well for the market. What I do think it augurs well for is this continued rally in the energy space. I don't think it's over by any stretch, Dan. What I've said for a while now is I thought post-Olympics, you're going to see this Russia-Ukraine situation get worse. I think China-Taiwan tensions will continue. And I think that's all going to be very positive for energy in the underlying stocks. I will say, as you know, both Schlumberger and Halliburton have been two names that I've talked about seemingly for the last year. They've had huge runs. You know what? I don't think it's over. And I think you can still make a meaningful argument for both on valuation, Dan Nathan. I think that makes sense. And I appreciate this opportunity for us to be a little constructive on some stuff here. I know that we're pointing out some of the things that we think could go wrong here. And I'll just say this. I got a bad feeling about this. So today's the first time we've seen 2% 10-year yields in a long time. And what is the knee-jerk reaction? It's to sell Microsoft. It's to sell Apple. It's to sell Google. So some of these large mega cap names that we know make up a disproportionate amount of the S&P and the NASDAQ. And I think that could be the next shoe to drop. And especially those three names are interesting to me because they did put up good quarters and they did give good guidance and they did rally afterwards. But if you think about Apple is still down on the year, its high was 180 it's trading at $173. I think it traded as low as $155 in the throes of the sell-off in January. Keep an eye on those January lows. Another one, Microsoft. It's sitting right above this $300 level. It's been consolidating there since its earnings move here. If we see that break in the near term, you're going probably down to 280 in a quick. And then the other one, as I mentioned earlier, is Alphabet, a 10% gap to a new all-time high on really good fundamental news. And the stocks filled the whole thing in just again today, Uber. Okay, people want to be optimistic about this company. It's unprofitable. They're expected to lose a billion and a half dollars this year on $26 billion in revenue. The stock was trading up 6 7%. Now it's down 4%. It just doesn't feel like investors are ready to buy growthy names. I know that the Apple, Microsoft, and the Alphabet were very defensive. We use that term, Danny just mentioned, as it relates to maybe energy or staples or utilities. But Apple, Microsoft, and Alphabet are also deemed defensive, but that means that they're very crowded. And we've just lost a few of those names over the last few months. And I just think that if those things were to go down in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see new lows in the S&P and in the NASDAQ. I'm shocked by the resilience of the market. I'm also shocked by people's willingness to keep buying back in and chasing. And I point to AMC again. I know it's one I always go to, but I think it's so indicative of retail behavior and investor behavior in general. They do a high yield debt offering. They take out some higher yielding debt and they replace it with something. That's a positive. Okay, I get it. But it doesn't move the needle enough. Why is the unsecured AMC debt has traded down five points since they basically priced their new debt from 74 to 69? That's not a credit worthy credit. That's a junk quality 69 cents a dollar. Yet stock moves its way back from 14 to 18. And I know it's going to end up going back to 14, 13, 12. I see things like that. The worst time for me personally, because the sports gap is always from the Super Bowl to March Madness. And funny enough, I think that's going to be the toughest time for the market because you're going to have to figure out and read economic data points that come out between now and then into the next Fed meeting. A lot of people interpreting things. And like I said before, I think to Guy's point, the 10-year yield is going to continue to come in. I think we're going to continue to flatten because there's going to be no signs the Fed's not going to go at least 25 in March and finish the taper, which they're doing, finishing now. That is a dicey environment. And quality stocks is what you're going to have to own here. But as long as I see shit trade like it does and rally like it does, it gives me less faith that the market's even close. Oh, there's another recall from Tesla. It gives me less faith that the market is even found its footing. So 
I am very bearish here. Sell into strength. You know if you own crappy names and you get an opportunity to sell, you should. Do not chase non-quality names here. Buy the quality. And I think we're going to continue to see that emerge over the next several months. So, It's been a magical season for you, Danny Moses, in terms of your prognostications and your handicapping skills. I've never been to the horse track with you. One of these days, we got to do it. But in terms of the NFL, you went a ridiculous 28-6, and six, which is historic by any stretch of the imagination. Obviously, this weekend is the Super Bowl. The Rams of Los Angeles playing the Bengals of Cincinnati. Give us some thoughts. I have some thoughts. I know Dan Nathan does as well. Love the Rams in their stadium. I think of Warren Beatty and Heaven Can Wait, one of the greatest movies of all time, which needs to be remade. I don't care if Joe Pendleton's playing quarterback for the Rams. I don't care if it's Leo Farnsworth. I love that it's Matthew Stafford. It's going to be hot, by the way, I heard. It's going to be 85 to 90 degrees on that field during the game. I don't know what impact that will have. I think everybody's in pretty decent shape. But I believe the Rams will win. I like the money line minus 200 because just in the Super Bowl, you can enjoy it. My pick would be Rams minus four. I also like Odell Beckham Jr. in every category that he's in for receptions, for yards, and for touchdowns. And I believe at 28 to one to Odell Beckham Jr., I hate to say this because I've never been a fan of his, to be MVP of that Super Bowl, I love that bet. And while the Rams win, it's probably Stafford. Give me 28 to one on Odell Beckham Jr. in that. I like the Rams here, guy. Dan. We're at 10 dimes. You're in L.A. right now. I know you proclivity to like the Rams, maybe, but maybe you want to get on the coach wagon. Coach likes the Bengals. What do you got? No, I do not. I'm not losing another dime to you, Danny boy. I'll see if our little gold bet can make a little dent into that NFL number. And I just got to make this one point. When you say your record on the year, that is versus the line. It is absolutely astounding. We've talked to a few handicappers over the course of this season, and I think they're literally perplexed that you're able to do that. So Good on you, Danny boy. I suspect you will win. I'm thinking Rams 21-17 in a close one here. The one thing I will say is being in L.A., and I went to the NFC Championship game a couple weeks ago, and half that stadium so far was in Niners jerseys here. So it was really interesting. I think a lot of L.A. fans are fairly indifferent about this Rams team. That's been true throughout history, by the way. They're not the greatest sports fans of all time. Danny Moses, who won the national championship in college football this year? Please educate me. How about them dogs? University of Georgia Bulldogs. Yes, that would be the University of Georgia. That's correct. Um, Danny Moses, where did Leonard Floyd go to college? University of Georgia. Who does he play for? Los Angeles Rams. Where did Sony Michelle go to college? The great city of Athens, University of Georgia. And he plays for? The Los Angeles Rams. And I'm not looking to last but not least. Matthew Stafford, he played his college football where? University of Georgia. And he is the quarterback of? The Los Angeles Rams. It is the year of everything Bulldog. I think this game won't be close. I think the Bengals score late to make it 35-24. Joe Burrow will be heroic in his efforts, but the defensive line of the Rams is just going to be too much for the line of the Bengals, which, by the way, is not particularly good. Joe Burrow did everything he could in the championship game to win it. He won't do it this week. 35-24 Rams. Let me just give a score since you're giving scores. I'm 31-13 or 31-17. And by the way, that would be Rams over Bengals. You can get 120, 150 to 1 on those exact bets. But there's another crazy bet. The total is 48 and a half, the over-under, called 49. And the line's four. Basically, it's telling you 27-23-ish, right, or 26-22, somewhere in there. For it to land on 27-23, which is basically what the book, you're getting 85 to 1. Throw five bucks on that too, people. Anyway, glad you're on my side, guy. 
I am always on your side. Dan, Nathan, I'm always on your side. Have a safe trip home. Folks, hope you enjoyed On the Tape. We'll be back, obviously, next week. This market's interesting. Time to tune in. Lock it up. Zone in. Tune in. We'll see you next week. Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, and FactSet. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and we also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com. Derivatives are not suitable for all investors and involve the risk of losing more than the amount originally deposited and any profit you might have made. This communication is not a recommendation or offer to buy, sell, or retain any specific investment or service.